Let me just pray. Spirit of truth, spirit of wisdom, and spirit of life transforming power. I pray that you would continue to do your work amongst us this morning. I pray that you would bring clarity, you would bring conviction, and you would bring confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. What word or words come to mind when you see or hear the word righteousness? I sent out a survey to uh, all the life groups and uh, about 35 of you very kindly took a moment or so uh, just to respond to that and I really appreciate you doing that. Um, And these are some of the words that you sort of sent through on, uh, on that survey. And I suspect there are some on there that you probably came to mind, would probably come to mind when you hear the word righteousness, things like good behavior, right standing, uh, being in the right place with God or uh, being before God, ethical, right living, and so on and so forth. And today we're going to continue in our Kingdom Priorities series. Uh, We looked at prayer, justice, and today we're looking at righteousness. And there are three things that we're going to particularly focus on. We're going to focus on what biblical righteousness is and isn't. And those of you that have been Christians for a while, some of this may surprise you. We're then going to look at righteousness and our relationship with God. And then finally, living righteously in practice. So we're going to look at some practical scenarios and where and how we can live righteously. Now before we dive in, I know we have a number of teenagers here in the room this morning. All right, So if you're a teenager, can you kindly put your hand up for me? All right, got a number of teenagers. Now, that's fantastic. So grateful that you're here. Now, I know that there are some teenagers who uh, decide that a sermon is a good time to play video games on your mobile phone. All right, no judgment whatsoever. My son is one of those as well. So, (laughs) can I encourage you today? Because what we're going to talk about is really, really fundamental and can really transform your understanding of your relationship with God and your walk with God and what it means to be a Christian. So if you're willing as teenagers, if you're willing just to give me your attention for the next half an hour or so, just nod your head where you are and thank you very much. Looking forward to that. Some of you adults, you need to be nodding your head as well, but um, let's... uh, (laughs) I'm kidding. All right. Uh, Today's passage is Romans chapter 14, verse 13 to 19. Now, as always, we're going to put the verses up on the slides there, but can I encourage you to actually pull out your own Bible and read it, whether it's a physical Bible, a digital Bible. If you have a smartphone, this is your first time to church, Download a Bible. There are free Bibles on on the app stores. 
And if there is somebody next to you that doesn't have, uh, isn't able to look at one, share yours with them. Because it's really important that you are able to look at the verses before, after, understand the context, and see what Scripture says. So, Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 19, says this. Therefore, and we read from the NIV. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another, especially if you're playing video games during the sermon. Um, No, sorry, that's not what it says there. Uh, Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Now the context within which Paul is writing to the Roman Christians and the context he's writing to is... It's early church days, and so the church is made up of Gentiles and Jews. Gentiles being a generic term for non-Jews, basically. And the Jews were struggling because, well, what's the break between Judaism and everything that they've grown up knowing, and the laws, and the traditions, and the holy days, and now, well, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, so how do we make that transition? What's different and what's not? And some of those Jews had made, uh, uh, had made a, uh, gone further in that journey and had come to a place where, as Paul says, actually, what is written in Deuteronomy 14 in terms of what we can or can't eat is no longer applicable. We can eat whatever. We can eat pork. We can eat shrimp. We can eat all sorts. And there were some Jews who were still struggling. They hadn't moved in that journey so much. And the guys who had moved were belittling the ones that hadn't moved. They were saying, well, you guys are just stuck in the mud. Christ gave us freedom. What are you doing? Why, so why are you restricting what I can eat? I know I'm in that sense of freedom. And so there was this challenge that they were going through. And they were unable to sort of see actually what difference that, could, that needs to be made. And so Paul is writing into that context. So let's unpack these verses a little bit. Now the question is, what does Paul mean by righteousness over here in verse 17, which is our key verse? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, it's about righteousness. As we saw earlier, most of our thoughts around righteousness, and if you look at the dictionary, it says righteousness is about being morally good. It's about being right with God. It's about without sin and cleanliness. And we may even use it as a synonym for holiness. It's about following rules or adhering to God's standards. God is righteous. We must be righteous. And so we need to adhere to his standards. And that's not necessarily wrong. 
But it's not the full and accurate picture. Look at verse 6 in our passage today. Romans 14, verse 6. He says, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to them. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord. Paul is clearly not advocating for a set of rules or a set of standards that all the Roman Christians had to adhere to. He's saying, if you want to eat meat, do it unto the Lord. If you don't want to eat meat, do it unto the Lord. There's a freedom here. But then he says, but it is about righteousness. And we often equate righteousness to rules or standards of living. So the question is, which is it? But our understanding of righteousness from a biblical perspective is actually quite limited. And this is for me. And this is how I was until I started sort of researching and and preparing for this sermon. You see, if you look back in the Old Testament, the concept of righteousness was about the fulfillment of obligations or conforming to norms within the context of a relationship. Within the context of a relationship, it is about fulfillment of obligations of conforming to norms within the context of relationship. It's connected to the idea of being approved by God or approved by your neighbor. That's righteousness. It's always in the context of relationship. Let me give you two verses as examples. So Genesis 6 verse 9, first time righteousness is mentioned. It says, this is the the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Now the rest of the verse goes on to explain what they mean by righteous. He was blameless among the people of his time. So his relationship with those around him was good. And he walked faithfully with God. So his relationship with God was good. That's the explanation of what they say when Noah was a righteous man. Deuteronomy 24 verse 13 says, Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as what? As a righteous act before, in the sight of the Lord your God. In essence, don't take advantage of your neighbor's generosity, make sure you return their cloak to them, and that is counted as righteousness. And we could go through a whole host of verses that show that righteousness is always within the context of a relationship. Righteousness is about the fulfillment of obligations within a covenant or relationship. And we say God is righteous. Why is God righteous? Not, just be, not because he's morally pure or morally perfect or because he's holy, which are all true, but he's righteous because he always fulfills every obligation in our relationship with him. He's established a covenant with us and he always fulfills every obligation. That's why we say God is righteous. And we can see from our passage this morning that righteousness does not equal rules. Because Paul is not saying, well, actually, yeah, I think you should eat, you should, you can eat pork, you can't eat shrimp, you can drink this, you can eat, drink uh, wine, but only if it's a certain percentage, anything higher than that, no, you shouldn't drink. He's not saying that. He's not giving them rules. Righteousness doesn't equal rules. Rather, it's about doing what is right and required to live in a loving, peaceful relationship. 
Now you might sit there and go, but isn't the Old Testament full of rules? I mean, I know there's at least 10 commandments, right? But there's, there's, I think there's 365 commandments in the Old Testament. I haven't actually sat and counted, but from what I remember. There's a lot of commandments, and Jesus himself said, you must obey my commands. So which is it? Am I saying ignore all of that and just worry about relationship? Actually, there's a connection here. If you look at the Old Testament, and if you look at the commands of Jesus, it's all about developing relationship, either with God or with one another. The Old Testament, you look at the Ten Commandments, the first three are all about what? Our relationship with God. And the rest of them are about our relationship with one another. So everything is all about relationship. It's not abstract. God doesn't give us abstract commands outside of the context of relationship, whether with him or with one another. The issue is that particularly in the West, we love rules, right? We love rules. Rules are what makes the roads work. If you've ever, anybody ever driven in India? All right, I'm from India. There is one rule, your way, right? That's it. Just keep going. Hope for the best, right? There are no rules in India, and it's chaos. It's utter chaos. You've got to have, uh, you know, eyes everywhere to hope that you don't. And whereas here, there are rules, and everything fo- follows smoothly. And so we love rules because rules give us clarity. They give us consistency. They give us order, efficiency. And rules help us to know whether we're doing right or we're doing wrong. It helps us to know where we are. For example, Hudson, my son, he's 12, and at his school, they have this thing called privilege pass. All right? Now, what is a privilege pass? Well, a privilege pass allows you the very exciting thing of going to school not in uniform. Right? In fact, you can choose what you use your privilege pass for. So you can go to school in your own non-uniform clothes. You can watch a movie during your lunch break. That sounds interesting. Right? The most exciting of all, you can choose which seat you can sit in. I'm like, really? That's a privilege pass? Needless to say, he never uses it for that. Now, how do you get those privileges? How do you get that privilege? You get that privilege by earning 25 points. So how do you earn those 25 points? You earn 25 points by good behavior, by exceptional work, by answering well in class, by adhering to a set of standards and then beyond. That's how you earn your points. Now let's say you've been doing really well and you've got 24 points. You need just one more point and then you can go to school in non-uniform. Woo-woo, right? Usually his Arsenal t-shirt, that's the main one. Problem is, you get the 24 points, and then you do something wrong, and you get knocked that back. You, so if you answer back in class, if you wear the wrong socks, if you don't turn in your homework on time, you lose all those 24 points. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> I won't tell you what school he's at. <laughs> you lose, wait, wait, it gets worse. Not only do you lose your privilege points, you actually get detention. It's horrible. Now, the thing is, though, 
We may not explain it as such, but so many of us live our Christian lives like that. So many of us think that God is sitting up there keeping score. How many points have you got for moral goodness this week? How many times have you read your Bible? Well, there's two points. How many times were you kind? Well, there's two more points. How many times were you generous and you've given your tithes? Well, there's a few more points. How many th- and then you get to, and you think, well, God's going to be pleased with me. I'm going to earn, I'm earning God's blessing because I'm being morally good and doing all these good things. And I'm going to get some kind of spiritual privilege. I don't know. And then you do something wrong. You get angry, you get jealous. You look at something that you shouldn't look at. And then God, boom, takes away all your privilege points and now you're worried that actually God might punish me. And we often think that's the way God works and young people, teenagers, please understand that's not how God works. God is not sitting here this morning thinking how many of you have got this many points and this many bad points and weighing things up. He doesn't do that. If you live your life like that, you're living in the, in the, in the confines of legalism, of trying to earn God's favor, and you're living a substandard Christian life because God is not like that. In fact, just this morning, just as I was walking up, Martin Goddard came to me and said, hey, you know, I had this thought, I was praying this morning, and I saw a picture of people, uh, sort of pilgrim's progress, but people really struggling with burdens and weighing down, and he, and he looked at some of the things that were weighing people down, and it was all these rules and regulations, don't do this, do this, don't do that, do this. And he didn't know what I was speaking on, I said, that's just exactly what I'm talking about this morning. We get weighed down by these rules. Or to use another, another analogy, you might think uh, the Christian life is a giant game of snakes and ladders. Where you, if you've played snakes and ladders, you, you get to the place and you climb up your ladder to make some progress, one moral good thing at a time. And then you get to that ladder and then whoop, then you hit, do something wrong and you come sliding back down the s- snake of sin. And then you have to go back to find the next ladder one step at a time, one moral good thing at a time, one Bible reading at a time, one prayer at a time, and then you get somewhere and then you back down the slippery slope of a sin of snake, snake of sin even. (laughs) Clearly getting way too excited. And then eventually we get to heaven and we think that's, that's our Christian life. The Christian life is neither about earning privileged past points or snakes and ladders. Teenagers, young people, but all of us, please hear this. It's a lifelong apprenticeship of learning to be more like Jesus. And we do that in relationship with him and relationship with one another. And if you're here at Citygate, the best place to do that is in life groups. That's where you will develop community. You will develop close relationships. We do, in our life groups, we do life in Jesus, life in community, and life on mission. So if you're not part of a life group, can I strongly encourage you to find out and join a life group? The Christian life is less about rules and more about relationships. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, talking about relationships... 
Priscilla, a month from today, Priscilla will have survived being married to me for 18 years. She definitely deserves a round of applause for that. In fact, love, that was your anniversary present. I hope you like it. Yeah, I'm not going to get away with that. Okay, so we thought, and Priscilla's parents are here today as well, visiting from India. Um, So we thought maybe, you know, we could, you know, some, some couples after a number of years, they decide to renew their vows. So we thought maybe we could practice renewing our vows this morning, uh, if you're good with that. So Priscilla, come on up. All right. Um, you've got them there. Great. All right. Priscilla Roxborough. I promise that you won't have to tell me more than four times to take the bins out. Uh, And I promise to hug you three times a day for a minimum of five seconds. I promise to buy you presents for all special occasions and none of them will be kitchen related. Um, I promise that I will laugh at all your jokes. I promise to compliment your new haircut the day you get it cut and not a week later. And I promise to tell you the day I'm getting my haircut so you can keep that promise. Fantastic. Great. Thank you very much. We forgot to practice the kiss the bride thing. No? Anyway. (laughs) Now... That's funny, but can you imagine if you turned up to a wedding and the vows were like that? That'd be weird, wouldn't it? That doesn't make sense. Why would you have a relationship that is built on specific rules and making sure that you're having to live by those rules day in and day out? It doesn't make any sense. That's not the kind of relationship that any of us want. Because a relationship that is based purely on rules is a relationship of fear. It's a relationship of the fear of the individual. What, how will they respond if I break this rule? It's a relationship that's based on fear of failure. What if I'm rubbish? What if I can't keep those? I'm such a failure. It's a relationship built on works, not on love. And we don't want that, and God doesn't want that either. He doesn't want us sitting there going, oh my goodness, I wish I'd done this. Oh, I'm such a failure. How is God going to respond to me if I do this or I don't do that? That's not the kind of relationship that God wants for us. And that's why God focuses on relationship, not on rules. So here's my definition of what it means to live righteously. Living righteously is doing what is required in the power of the Holy Spirit to restore and then strengthen your relationship with God, first and foremost. It's then doing what is required to restore and strengthen your relationship with others, 
and it's doing what is required to restore and strengthen their relationship with God. Now when I say others, just a quick caveat, that doesn't mean everyone. There may be toxic people that you need to have distance from for a season because that they are affecting your relationship with God and other people. So just a caveat on that. Okay. Righteousness isn't about have I done this or have I avoided that. It's more about does this strengthen or weaken my relationship with Jesus? Does it strengthen or weaken my relationship with those around me? And does it strengthen or weaken their relationship with Jesus? That's living righteously. We often get the wrong focus. We often focus on trying to please God because we think it's all about rules rather than trying to live righteously. Turn with me to Romans 15, our passage, uh, Romans 14 even, our passage uh, today. So if you can get your Bibles up. This is verse 17 and 18 that we look at again. Verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, Because anyone who serves Christ in this way, which way? In righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Most of us spend our lives with the objective of trying to please God, but if we have our objective of living righteously, as the verse indicates, verse 18, the outcome will be pleasing to God. Do you get this? There's a difference. Our objective should be to live righteously, and the outcome of that will be to please God. Because if you focus on living righteously, you will please God. If you focus on pleasing God, you will end up stuck in a giant game of snakes and ladders. Proud one moment, miserable the next. Or you will be worrying about how many privilege points you've got. So focus on living righteously. Righteousness is less about following rules and more about fertilizing relationships. Righteousness is less about following rules and more about fertilizing relationships. Everybody say, fertilizing. <laughs> that's the only word I can do in that accent, so that's why I'm going with it. Fertilizing. <laughs> now, you might think, well, that's a stretch. What is fertilizing relationships? What on earth is that? And I know it's a bit of a stretch, but... See, we fertilize relationships. Righteousness is power in the Holy Spirit. So if you fertilize relationships through the power of the Holy Spirit, you get what? The fruit of the Spirit. Ah, you didn't see that one, did you? See, I'm going with that. I know it's a stretch, but there we go. Okay, righteousness is more about relationships than rules. So the question is, well, how do we become righteous? Turn with me to Romans chapter 14, uh, Romans 4 even. So stuck in Romans 14. Romans chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. Romans chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. And this is also why I ask you to turn, because then I can take a break and have a sip of water, see? So. What does scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15. 
Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Remember the word obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So Abraham trusted God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, which goes further to prove that righteousness is not about good works. Because, well, wait, Abraham, we're not told Abraham did anything other than to trust God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. How does that work? Well, think about it this way. Righteousness is about obligations, the fulfillment of obligations within a relationship. What's the first and foremost obligation required within a relationship? Trust. Right? Any, even a transactional relationship, when you go and buy a McDonald's burger after lunch, not for you, Hudson, when you go and buy a McDonald's burger, you trust that when you pay the money, you get a McDonald's burger. Right? There's trust, even in transactional. And for all our relationships, trust is the first and foremost obligation for a relationship. That's why when Abraham trusted God, he was fulfilling an obligation and therefore he had the stamp of approval, which is another way of saying God's righteousness, God's approval. What's amazing, think about Adam and Eve. So if you look at Adam and Eve and you say, well, when, when did it all go wrong? Most of us would say when they ate of the fruit, right? Actually, it went wrong before that. It went wrong the moment Adam and Eve stopped trusting God and started to trust the serpent. When Adam and Eve stopped trusting God, what did they do? Because they broke their trust, they broke, they broke the obligation and therefore they broke the relationship they had with God. And instead they entered into a relationship with the serpent. It's as simple as that. It's trust. And they stop trusting God, who is life. And when you cut yourself off from life, what is the natural consequence? Death. And that's what happened. And unfortunately, we still live in the reality of that moment where they stopped trusting God and instead started trust the serpent. Eating the fruit was only a consequence or an outcome of misplaced trust. And so what's amazing is that when Abraham trusts God, he gets credited with righteousness. Now, I start a a new job tomorrow, which is amazing because it's a bank holiday. All right? (laughs) Great way to start a new job. Chilling on the beach or wherever. Make a call for that. But... With part of this new job, I have a probation period, all right? So I've had the interview, they've interviewed me, they've approved me for the role, but I have a six-month probation period where I have to prove that I am capable of doing this job. With God, there is no probation period. Look at that. He doesn't go, when you trust in God, he doesn't say, okay, you trust in me, now prove it. He doesn't say, well, let me wait and see if he changes his behavior. Let me see how many times he reads his Bible this week. Let me see how empty his swear jar is. Let me see if he starts to respect his wife more. Let me see if he uh, stops following that account on Instagram or whatever it might be. 
He doesn't. You trust in God, you have a stamp of approval. You trust in God, he stamps you with the word righteous. Isn't that amazing? There is no probation period with God. And we know that, and yet we then start living differently once we've done that. We don't have to prove ourselves. Why is it that it isn't about having to prove ourselves to God? Why is it this is possible? Because it's never about you and me. It's about what Jesus has done on the cross. Amen? That's where we get our righteousness from. And it's so relieving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, or to read the Greek more clearly, so we might receive divine approval. To use a rugby analogy, in essence, Jesus, although he had done nothing wrong, was sent to the sin bin, and you who had zero qualifications to be on that field was given a band that says righteous, approved by God. Isn't that wonderful? Now today, if you are not a follower of Jesus, all you need to do is to trust and believe in God. To put your faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. Your failing and the consequence of your sin, death was placed on Jesus. He died and he rose again, defeating the power of sin. You can partake of that victory today by simply putting your trust and your faith in Jesus Not only that, but then God will also fill you with his own life-giving, life-transforming power and energy, his Holy Spirit, to enable you to strengthen your relationship with him and your relationship with others and help them strengthen their relationship with him. But trust also includes repenting and surrendering. So just as a skydiver might trust that their parachute will save them, they still need to jump out of the plane. And if you're not a believer and follower of Jesus, you need to jump out of your plane of sin. You need to be willing to repent and say, I'm done with my life of sin. And even once the skydiver has jumped out of the plane, they then need to actually deploy the parachute. They need to surrender to the physics of the parachute to save them. And so when we're saying trust, we're also saying repent of your life of sin and surrender your life, your will, your way of living to Jesus. And in and through that, you will learn to live in your true purpose, your true identity, and that is where you will have a life of true fulfillment and joy that we've been singing about today. So just to finish off, I want to look at some practical ways in which we can live righteously. Some practical challenges, because the passage today, there was ambiguity. Well, can we eat this? Can we do that? And there's many things in our Christian walk where we're unclear as to, you know, God hasn't prescribed absolutely everything for us to do. And so I want to look at some things and extend that principle, what Paul says, well, the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking, but about righteousness in the Holy Spirit. So let's take a few scenarios. Let's pick an easy one. Porn. Might as well start. Now, some of you might be saying, well, why can't I look at porn? It's not hurting anyone. And some of you might be sitting there going, well, why can't I watch Game of Thrones or this year's equivalent? At least I'm not looking at porn like those guys. And I think Paul would say to you, 
The kingdom of God isn't about what you do or don't watch. It's about righteousness. It's about what will strengthen your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and their relationship with God. Because if you're looking at anything that objectifies women, you cannot have a good, strong relationship with them. You'll struggle because you're demeaning the image of God in them. Couples that are dating. The question that every teenage boy asks is, how far can we go when we're dating? I know we're not supposed to go to base three, but base one, base two, what about base 2.6, I don't know what those are, but... But Paul would probably say, look, the kingdom of God is not about base one or base two, it's about righteousness. What will strengthen your relationship with God and your relationship with one another? Husbands. Some of you husbands are saying, well, There are no rules around what happens in the bedroom. Why doesn't she do this? I want her to do this. She doesn't want to do it. But there's no, you know, there's nothing. I I can do that. And some of you husbands are thinking, I wish our vows had said how many number of times we're going to do it every week. That, That should have been in the vows. But Paul would say, the kingdom of God isn't about what your wife will or won't do. It's about righteousness. It's about what will strengthen your relationship with one another. And if you want a clue, it's about how, to be, make it clear, it's about how will your, lo- your wife feel loved and cherished. And if you want, there's three clues. Talk to your wife about this. How to make your wife feel more loved and cherished. Kitchen, kids, mental load. All right, I'm just putting those out there. If you're not sure what that means, have a conversation with your wife today, husbands, and say, what did he mean about making you feel more loved and cherished with kitchen kids and mental load? And wives, if he hasn't had that conversation by four o'clock today, you initiate the conversation. (laughs) Young people, kids in school. You might say, well, what's wrong with making fun of the ginger kid or the fat kid? Or what's wrong with forwarding that embarrassing photo of that friend of ours? What's wrong with that sending forwarding that rude meme on WhatsApp? It's just fun. Everybody knows it's just fun. It's just a joke. And I think Paul would say, the kingdom of God is not about what you do or don't forward. What you do or don't say. It's about righteousness. About what will help their relationship with God and your relationship with with one another. Some of you talk about serving. You might say, well, why can't I be on the worship team? I have a gift, I should be on the worship team and bless everyone with my amazing gift. Or you might say, well, why can't I be on the preaching team? Or you might even say, well, why am I being asked to serve on a smaller platform? I should be on the big platform because I have so much to give. And you spiritualize it. And Paul would say, the kingdom of God isn't about size of platform or size of gift. It's about righteousness. What will help and strengthen your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and their relationship with God? And pride will only weaken your relationship with God. Pride will only weaken your relationship with others. And it might even weaken their relationship with God. What about tithing? I don't have to give. There's nothing in the New Testament that says we have to give 10%. Why should we give anything? I can give what I want, or I don't have to give. It's okay. 
And Paul would say, the kingdom of God isn't about what you do or don't give. It's about righteousness. What will strengthen your relationship with God? By tithing, by sacrificing some money, you're learning to trust God. By giving generously, anonymously, you may be helping strengthen somebody else's relationship with God because they've been provided for miraculously. Some of you have been offended by maybe this church, a church, maybe even by individuals. And you think, well, they should apologize. They, should have, they shouldn't have said that. How dare they do that? And again, Paul would say the kingdom of God isn't about what people have or haven't said, who has or hasn't apologized. It's about righteousness. What will strengthen your relationship with God? And living under offense won't do that. What will strengthen your relationship with others? Living in offense won't do that. And finally, and this is slightly different, parents. Think about how you can apply this idea that Christian living is more about relationships than rules in your family. For example, on Thursdays we have a life group and uh, the kids join us for, for the icebreaker, which they love, and then they go up to their rooms. And now they know that we are not going to come up and check on them because we're busy with life group. They also know that there are not supposed to be any screens after a certain time in the evening. Now, every time they go up, I can say to Hudson and Odessa, I can say to them, remember, no screens, and send them up to their room. But I don't. I say to Hudson and Odessa, I say, can I trust you? Can I trust you? And there have been times when I've asked Hudson later, the next day, I ask Hudson, I said, did you watch anything? And there have been times when he's been honest and he said, yes, I did. Now, I never punish him for honesty. Because what's that going to teach him? Is that going to teach him not to watch screens? No. What does it teach him? It teaches him not to be honest. And that breaks the relationship. So I express my appreciation for him being honest. I express my disappointment that he watched something. And then I remind him, I say, Hudson, I need to be able to trust you. It's about relationship. It's not about rules. It's less about rules. So parents, can we do that? Now this is a key priority. Because as you live righteously, you will extend the kingdom of God. You will express, enjoy, and extend the kingdom of God. Jesus said, this is how you will, they will know that you are my disciples. He didn't say, this is if you follow all the rules. No, what did he say? If you love one another. Can you imagine what your family, your workplace, your school, this church, your neighborhood would look like if this is how we all operated? Thinking about, does my behavior, does my attitudes help strengthen or weaken my relationship with Jesus, strengthen or weaken their relationship with Jesus, and strengthen or weaken my relationship together? I want to finish by reading from Mark chapter 12, verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love 
your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. If you can, can I encourage us to stand? Let's just close our eyes and Sean's going to help us uh, respond.